Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa New Zealand. Episode 127, Q&A 2023, part Rima. This podcast is recorded in Te Whanganui Atara on the rohe of Muiupoko, Taranaki Whanganui, Te Atiawa and Ngāti Toa Rangatira. We are generously supported by our amazing patrons. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash historyaltearoa. Alrighty, we're on to the last question. Uh, this comes from Siggy. Can you talk in summary about the sources which you have drawn on for the pre-European information and what they have used as original sources? How reliable, how unreliable, how many sources, do they conflict in material areas, is there much ongoing research into this area? Are there any controversies going on in what is considered to-date accepted history, please? Thank you for the question, Siggy. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, this is also another one that I wanted to get asked because I did want to talk about the sources a little bit um, because I think that's important. So the sources, I use a lot of different sources and you can find all of them on the website. If you go to historyaltearoa.com and click on the menu and then go sources, I list pretty much all of the sources that I use and I split them up roughly by topic. And yeah, so they're all there if you want to go look at them and, and see more in depth what I, who, who I guess I've used, if you want to scrutinize that, which you're more than welcome to and I encourage you uh, to do so because there's a lot of information that gets left on the cutting room floor that I just don't put into these episodes because it's either not interesting or I don't think it's interesting, or it doesn't really quite fit in with everything else that I'm kind of talking about, and it's maybe it's like too much of a tangent. Yeah, there's lots of reasons why things don't get put in. Um, sometimes it's just time. I just feel like actually this information is more important than this other information, so I'm just going to leave that to the side. So a lot of stuff doesn't get put in, and so those those books obviously contain more, even more information. A lot of them are super dry, though, so it's hard to get through them sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, what I want to do here, instead of just listing every single source that I use, I thought I might just talk about some of the major ones that I have used, because um, there's, a, there's a few names that crop up quite often, and they kind of, I guess, sit in three different categories. There is the sort of primary sources of people who who, you know, were there at the time. There's the, uh, I guess what you'd call tertiary sources. They're the modern authors who have written, they use those primary sources and then write nice books about them. And then there's the group of I, what I've kind of called the less hooey, more dewy kind of guys, because that's a thing that us Pākehā say now. I don't know if Māori say that, probably not, but that's something that we now use in corporate speak, is less hooey, more dewy. They're the guys who are going out. They're not necessarily writing books, but they're learning and reclaiming Māori knowledge and culture through action. So let's talk about the first group, uh, those groups of primary sources. One that I've talked about so much, I've mentioned him basically in every single episode nearly, is Elston Best. He is a prolific writer he has written basically he has written a book on basically every single topic we have covered um and that's because that was pretty much his entire job 
Um, so Elston Best lived from 1856 to 1931, and he was uh, what's known as an ethnographer or uh, ethnologist or something. He his whole thing was around uh, ethnicities. He was studying uh, cultures, obviously in particular Maori culture was the one that he was primarily writing about. He was employed. I don't know if he was employed by the Dominion Museum or whether he was just working with them or maybe contracted. But he did a bunch of stuff with the Dominion Museum, which I believe was the predecessor to Te Papa. Citation needed on that one. But yeah, he was doing a bunch of uh, a bunch of research with the Dominion Museum, um, where he would go out and talk to Māori about various aspects of their culture. Every, as I said, pretty much everything we have covered, that's the stuff he was talking about them with it was mostly with people on the east coast so anyone or the the people around sort of gisborne area and some tuhoi so yeah that those kind of east coast maori uh the the people he was by and large he was talking to those people so that's why i'd say a lot of the time depends on who you ask just because his knowledge came from those most of his knowledge came from those people and that knowledge might not necessarily be applicable to people living elsewhere in the country so he's a very big source that i have used and his uh in terms of his reliability elston best is very on and off i guess you'd put it he does uh he is very good with some things and very bad with other things and sometimes he has very good opinions for you know at least for a late 19th early 20th century Pākehā man because sometimes he'll say things like there's these statues or these images that Māori make and they have very erect penises and he'll say I've talked to some other people some other white scholars and they all think it's some weird sex thing it's obviously something where they're just really obsessed with sex and uh and and the erect penis and all that sort of stuff and he'll go on to say i don't think that's true i just think that the erect penis is it's a symbol of maleness it's a symbol of masculinity so you know you put it on things that you want to seem very masculine or sometimes that uh, maori would put a penis onto a carving of a person just to indicate that they were male no other reason just to indicate that they were male so you know th th it was that sort of stuff where he, he goes yeah i don't really think that that's probably true and i would read that and go yeah that seems reasonable elston that seems that seems right it wasn't that they were sex mad it was just th they had a different connotation in those contexts and other times elston will say i think maori are descended from proto-judaic people and you go what in the absolute fuck are you talking about <laughs> so he's he's very yeah elston best is is in some areas very good and in some areas not super good and you just kind of have to you have to take all of it as it comes in the sense that the fact that he says certain things that are obviously bollocks you do need to take that into account when you look at the other things and you go that seems reasonable to me because sometimes those things that seem reasonable aren't actually true these things that he says that are clearly not true is uh you know sort of discredits him a little bit i guess is what i'm trying to say and you need to be careful with that that just because some other things seem to align with what you 
think is true or align with your biases biases you need to remember that he said other things that are categorically untrue we know that maori were not descended from a proto-judaic people so that's that's important to to keep that in mind and so yeah and he's he's obviously super racist a lot of the time but other times he he is willing to look at other aspects of european culture and criticize those as well which i found very unique amongst the authors that i read at least the primary source authors that i read a lot of them are very europeans are above maori and the noble savage thing and all that sort of stuff and elston best does do a little bit of that to be fair so i'm not letting him off the hook for that one but elston seems more willing than others to and i think this is because of his ethnographer background is he'll look at european culture particularly english because that's that was his um that was his background that was his uh, ancestry and he'll look at it with the same lens that he's looking at maori with and he'll say you know and i talked a bit about this when we did the the religion episodes where he criticized christianity for being somewhat polytheistic because of like the saints or specifically catholicism because you know they have the saints and they're sort of revered as like minor deities and so he said you know christianity looks at itself as being monotheistic but at least catholicism is reasonably polytheistic because of that so you know he's a bit more willing than others to look at his own not well not necessarily his own culture because i don't think he was catholic i think he was probably anglican but he's more willing to look at white culture and criticize other people for being all high and mighty about it when actually if you look at it with the same critical lens as you're doing with maori then you'll probably find that a lot of your assumptions don't hold up and i think yeah i think that's that's commendable i think that's good doesn't excuse everything else that he says in his writings so elston best i find very hit and miss he's not well regarded by by maori scholars today in fact pretty much none of these white pakeha men are regarded well in today's um scott by historical scholars today but they are the primary sources they are the people that wrote that got this information wrote it down and they're part of the reason we know this information today so it is important to acknowledge that as being part of the the journey the experience the yeah these these people have been helpful to a degree but we need to acknowledge that they had certain biases and that colored their view in particular ways and that we need to be aware of that when we're reading their their works and then using those that information for future future works such as this podcast so elston best is a really important one another one is uh edward shortland who was uh he did a lot of different things actually he was a doctor he was an administrator of the early colonial government under hobson he was a linguist and he was also just generally a, a scholar and he lived from 1812 to 1893 so a lot of his work because he was a linguist relates to the the maori language and that kind of stuff another one is alexander marshbanks who in the episode i called majority banks because i didn't realize that you actually pronounce it marshbanks which is weird because it's not spelt like that 
anyway, he was a traveller and author who was active in New Zealand from about the 1840s, um, and he died in 1864. And so he's also an interesting one. He wrote a book that I've all, I do have all about his travels throughout New Zealand and all the different people he met and all the different things that he he learned from all these different people and much like uh, Edward Shortland and Elston Best do this a reasonable amount as well but Marsh Banks I found was quite prolific with it which was he would hear something from someone you know he'd be in a pub he'd be chatting with a guy and this guy would say yeah I saw these people you know I saw a bunch of Maori doing all this stuff in the bush and he'd be like oh yeah 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 okay and so he'd write that in his book saying yeah you know Maori were out on the warpath and this is what they were doing they were singing and this is what they were singing and and all that and to his credit he would write down i heard this from a guy but of course he has no way to verify that information he has no way to be able to know whether that information is true or correct or whether the guy was just spinning a yarn and just just you know maybe he was a bit pissed and he was just making something up he has no way to know that so I didn't find him super useful for some things. Some of it was because I could corroborate that with other works from, again, Shortland and Best. So there's some stuff in there that I was like, okay, that's probably true because uh, a bunch of other people said you know, similar things and they actually did do their research. So yeah, so Marsh Banks is, the book is clearly not meant to be a good, you know, it's not a scholarly work. It's a, a thing that he wrote. You know, it's it's the... It's the 19th century equivalent of a travel blogger's YouTube channel. You know, that's kind of what it is. It's a travel YouTube channel for the 19th century, which is a book. It's a travel book. We still have those. We still have travel books. <laughs> but I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm of the digital age. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a travel book, basically. He's just telling, he's just telling shit about stuff that he did and things that people told him which is fine that's still useful that's still things that you know that that's still his experience um that he had so that's not to say that it's not useful it's just that it's probably not terribly reliable in certain circumstances so yeah so he's a bit of an interesting one there's also samuel marsden who was a missionary he was uh, alive from 1765 to 1838 so he was a bit late a bit earlier sorry than some of these other guys and we chatted probably mostly about him in regards to food um in regards to maori food because he was weirdly the missionaries were very keen on um what maori were eating partially because yeah it was uh, they thought you know eating the proper food was the way to godliness or salvation or whatever a lot of his his writings or, or things that people had had gotten from him were very integral in those episodes and of course his his particular bias his, his you know his coloring of the uh, information was from a religious standpoint that he was very pro jesus and that he very much thought that the maori were in need of salvation because they hadn't heard of jesus and so you know, he, he thought they were savages because they were polytheistic and, and he thought they were heathens and pagans and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So a lot of his work is uh, coloured in that way because of that bias that he has. Much like Elston Best, you have to take that on board. You have to understand that's where he's coming from. And so you have to be able to pull that apart from the good information that's in there, which is very difficult and you still 
you know you still have to keep that in mind when you're reading him because you can't fully pull apart this bias that he's got so that's kind of part of the 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 work that you have to do when you're reading these these books and these things that they've written a lot of it is teasing these these actual real things out of a lot of racism basically Um, which is easier said than done sometimes the next one uh, that i haven't used a huge amount but i did mention a lot of these guys uh have gotten information from this man um so i put him in here even though i actually didn't use his books all that much was joseph polak who was an explorer colonizer entrepreneur and author he did a lot of different stuff actually i saw on his wikipedia page he ended up in california and that's where he died but we mentioned him like in the spates episodes polak was the first person if i recall correctly he was the first person to make a commercial brewery in new zealand because he lived from 1807 to 1882 so really smack bang in the middle of the colonial era in new zealand and he uh yeah so he did a bunch of different stuff he did a bunch of roaming around doing things so he wasn't necessarily particularly interested in maori culture um but of course by virtue of the time that he was living those were the people he had to interact with quite a lot and so he did end up learning a lot about that stuff um, or a lot about those people and their culture and so that he ended up writing about that as kind of um again sort of travel book type things for people back in europe to tell them this is what's going on over here isn't that weird and exotic you know so that kind of stuff so again uh, not perhaps not terribly reliable in some cases um, but it is useful for knowing that was his experience that's that that experience is useful because we know that that's those are things that he went and did or people he went and talked to and those were things that they told him and so that can be useful in telling us what people thought at the time or things that they were willing to share with him because sometimes things that they're not willing to share also tells you something as well you know so that's useful um and and interesting one guy that i used uh specifically for the tamoko episodes was hg robley who was a soldier from uh, 1840 to 1930 so a bit more late and a bit more into uh, elson best's time he was a bit fucking insane to be honest um because he was a soldier obviously he has you know the kind of views that a colonial soldier has racist ones primarily and so he's the guy who was known as the headhunter because he ended up collecting a bunch of toy moko the preserved heads that maori made he ended up collecting a whole bunch of them for his own sort of private collection basically um which is a bit grisly and he'd like to show it off to people and yeah a lot of people were like mm, that's mm, don't know about that so yeah so he he's a he's a controversial figure but his the information that he wrote about that he learned from um maori getting these heads and um getting the you know learning about the tamoko on them and that kind of stuff is useful it's a primary source and that and it is reasonably reliable because we know that he was he was there at the time learning these things about this stuff that he had it's just kind of a bit controversial because of the way that he went about getting them which was yeah not always great so he's yeah a lot of these guys are controversial figures but he's probably the most controversial figure on this list um yeah in terms of how these guys 
conflict with each other they definitely conflict sometimes and even the modern historians conflict sometimes as well that's just something we have to work with but especially when we learn later on that what these guys were saying was not quite true because we discover through say archaeological evidence or some other written evidence that actually that's not actually what happened it was something else yeah they they conflict in lots of different areas usually it's small just in terms of like how certain rituals might be performed or how certain objects might be used yeah just very small different ways how how different like say waka might be constructed and, and how might bu- different buildings might be constructed or what might they might be used for a lot of that sort of stuff and a lot of that comes down to different interpretation of objects you know when you're talking about an object and how it's used um it could just be if you can't see it being used in situ like actually see someone using it who knows how to use it then you know sometimes they might just be sort of guesstimating what's going on there um and other times that's down to um again maori were not monolithic what one iwi or hapu did or how they used things or what rituals they had was not necessarily applicable to someone on the other side of the country some of those conflicts are just down to these people were talking to different people at different times there's not just the spatial aspect there's the time aspect as well that some of these people were talking either in the early 19th century to maori or they were talking in the late 19th or early 20th century to maori and so that that makes a difference in what those people will say and what they might believe and that kind of stuff yeah so they do conflict in certain areas by and large it wasn't anything terribly drastic which was good and the the ways that they do conflict again by and large could be explained through fairly reasonable means so there was never anything that i found that was like holy shit this is super wrong this guy's off his rocker what is he talking about at least in terms of conflict of sources but and when they did uh as well sometimes people like elston would say this is that i've seen read this work and i don't agree with this and here's why so sometimes they would actually sort of reply to each other a little bit which is also helpful as well when they when elston pointed that out when you you know he'd see someone and go no i don't think that's right and here's my reasoning why i don't think that's right because i've talked to this guy and he said this thing so that's also helpful uh as well the modern authors that i mostly use a key source has been aw reed who has done a lot of work in this area and i believe still continues to do a lot of work in this area the episodes that i do with the maori uh, legends they are primarily taken from um, a book that he has written um, called maori myths and legends so that's that's obviously a big a big influence there that's how i select what story i'm going to tell and i primarily read it from that book other than a few i'll look around at some other sources that have got a few other tidbits and i'll usually pull those in as well um sometimes just to round out the story a bit more and give it a bit more you know flesh it out and he's also written or co-written a lot of books like tangata whenua that was one of the first books that i i bought and it is really good it tells the history of new zealand in a very general sense it's very easy to read because it's uh, it's very well very well written it's obviously written for people that don't necessarily have a background in history um so it's written in a way that's very accessible 
and I also bought the illustrated version. So if you buy the illustrated version, as opposed to the book that's just got the words in it, the non-illustrated version, um, it has a bunch of pictures in it, which is helpful for uh, if they're explaining a concept or talking about people you can have pictures of those people or those concepts or the objects that they're talking about it's nice to have pictures and be able to see what they're talking about and also you just love just love a picture you know just love a picture book you know so that's cool as well um so i highly recommend tongue of the whenua if you're looking for a really accessible book to learn some general new zealand history you know it just covers the whole breadth of New Zealand history and it tells it from a Maori perspective. For other general histories of New Zealand like um, the Penguin History of New Zealand that is that is written by um, a white author, a Pākehā author. Michael King is the one who wrote that. Um, It's a bit of an older book now. Um, It's generally still considered to be a really good text in general New Zealand history most people still recommend it but I think most modern historians today acknowledge that it is a little bit of a product of its time so yeah so it's one of those ones where you kind of go it's probably still good it's still worth reading you just have to go in there with a bit of an expectation that you know you have to understand that yeah it's probably just a bit not something that would have been written today but otherwise is probably not too bad There's also the Short History of New Zealand, which is written by Gordon McLaughlin. Again, I've only read some of that, and it seems to be pretty good, but it's not very in-depth. Neither of those books, I should say, The Penguin History or Short History of New Zealand, they're both not terribly in-depth, which you'd expect from a book that's covering the entirety of New Zealand's history, and a book that's called The Short History of New Zealand. Um, So they're designed to be easily digestible and a bit more general. So if that's something that you want, then that's great. That's, you know, they do that job quite well. But that is a caveat that if you're looking for something a bit meatier, then they're not necessarily going to sate that interest. They're not going to delve really deep into these topics like we do here. Uh, another one in the that sort of similar vein is Struggle Without End by Ranganui Walker. That is also another general history of New Zealand, but like Tangata Whenua, it's told from a Māori perspective. So that's really good because that's a that's an important perspective that we need to have and acknowledge and use when we're talking about making this podcast. So that's really good. But again, it's a general history of New Zealand, so it doesn't d- dive really, really deep into those topics. So I use those books kind of as a general guide of where I should be going, you know, because I don't have an exact encyclopedic knowledge of exactly what topics I should be covering at any given time in the story, you know, and going along the timeline. Um, I have a vague idea, but those books help guide me as to where I should be going, what other sort of topics I should be covering, what are the events that I should be looking at, what are the people that I should be trying to look at, and just generally kind of pointing me in the right direction, and then I can take that and then I can look at some other sources that go really in-depth and tell me a lot of really random things and really go into the nitty-gritty. So they're really good for just guiding where I'm going and what I should be doing, which is helpful just to let you know where you should be going and what you should be doing. Um, Otherwise, this thing would just get off the rails really quickly. Uh, A few of the modern authors uh, that I'll mention that um, were per sort of subject, they're not overall 
uh, I haven't used them all the time, basically, but they are important to the particular subject that I talked about. Helen Leach was very important for the food and gardens and horticulture episodes. Um, she was really, really good. And so that was, I was, I was very chuffed with that. She is slash was, because she's retired now, a food anthropologist. So growing food, eating food, cooking food, all that sort of stuff is her specialty so she she did had a lot of really good information uh murdoch riley was really good for the medicine episodes that was his sort of that was his specialty as well um so he had a lot of really good information about new zealand plants and how to use them in a medicinal sense and donald gordon was our saving grace with the spates episodes um he was the uh chemist at Spates or he was a chemist at Spates and he was also their kind of unofficial archivist um, there for a long time and so in the 90s he wrote the book um, that was all about Spates's history um, which was the linchpin or the keystone in building those episodes because um, yeah a lot of that information was very difficult to find so yeah so he was really good um, and he was he had access to Spates's archives so I guess for him in particular when you're talking about the reliability of, of him I think he's highly reliable because he had access to Spates' archives. So, you know, he had access to information that lots of people didn't, um, and so therefore could write this history about them. Of course, the downside to that is that there is a potential that he had a bias to make Spates look good. It's unclear whether Spates funded this book, as far as I'm aware. They probably did in some capacity, or at least they had to approve it. And so, yeah, there's there's bits in it where you're sort of like, mm, you might be, you might be praising them just a little bit too much here. There there is uh, potential elements in that book might that might be considered he's he's giving he's letting them off a little bit too easily perhaps, um, just because you know he worked for them, um, they probably commissioned the book in some capacity. So yeah, so again, that's a bias that's um, important to to recognise. The last group is those less hooey, more dewy kind of guys. The guys that are going out there and reclaiming Māori culture and uh, knowledge and history by building waka and uh, building musical instruments and using them and see how they work and figuring out why their designs don't work maybe and why others do and that sort of thing. So the the main ones from there are Brian Flintoff, Richard Nunns and Hirini Melbourne um, who were the musical guys. They were the guys that I pulled a lot or pretty much all of the knowledge that we have about Māori musical instruments, taonga or comes from those three guys. All the written sources, if it's not written by one of them, the the book is referencing one of them so they are pretty much the the holders and the keepers well, maybe not the holders and the keepers but they're the people that really brought this information to everyone and really pushed forward this this research um by yeah making these instruments and learning how to play them and all that sort of stuff and the other one we've talked about is Hector Busby, who was, as we mentioned earlier, really big on building waka, which saw heaps of different aspects of Māori culture and knowledge being reclaimed, relearned, and all that sort of stuff. 
I also have the honourable mention of Papers Past, who I used a reasonable amount for the Spates episodes, and I haven't used it too much else otherwise, but I suspect I'm going to use it quite a lot in the future. Papers Past is a really good website and archive of a whole bunch of newspapers and magazines and letters and all sorts of other written material from New Zealand's history going back, yeah, pretty much pretty much as soon as Europeans arrived, really, as soon as Europeans were here making newspapers and writing magazines and stuff. So it's a treasure trove of different uh, different written works in New Zealand that is easily searchable, which is really helpful. And uh, yeah, just great. It's great to be able to read, um, you know, for the Spates episodes, I was able to read some of the replies to the editor about his comments on New Zealand beer, Um, If you remember in those Spates episodes, some of those brewers got particularly heated and wrote to the editor about an article about how New Zealand beer was crap. And they were like, no, 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 and here's why. What made it even better and really made me glad I did my research was that one of the responses was from James Wilson of Well Park, the brewery where the three founding members of Spates uh, met. When I went looking for those responses, I hadn't expected one of them to be from someone I actually knew who that was. I just assumed it would be some random brewers that probably wrote in. So that was really cool that one of them was one that I recognised. People who don't do historical research might not quite understand why that's kind of exciting and kind of fun. It's just fun to find a newspaper clipping, in this case a letter to the editor, and go all the way through it and go, wow, that's really relevant and that's really cool and I'm going to put that into my episode. And then realise at the bottom it's signed by a person that you know who it is because you've previously researched them. It's just nice and fun connecting the dots in those ways, especially when they're unexpected like that. So I found those on Papers Past. Um, So there's a lot of really great information on there that is, yeah, reflective of what people thought at the time, which is, yeah, obviously really interesting and really useful. And just covering off the last uh, aspects of your question, is there much ongoing research into this area? Uh, Into the pre-European era there uh, definitely is. There's a lot, I believe, of archaeological work going on in varying capacities around the place. And there's always people learning new things in strange and wonderful ways that you might not initially anticipate. For example, ta-da, the Māori sail um, that we talked about earlier this year. You know, we're learning about how people made sails and how they weaved harakeke and that kind of stuff. So there's, it's not just people in archives or in the field doing archaeology there's lots of other avenues to learning this information and we're learning new stuff all the time it just it's it's a slow process so it's slow to come out but there's absolutely work still being done on the pre-european era to expand our understanding and of course there is very much work going on on the colonization era as well and reassessing those histories and how we should be uh viewing them and using them in the future and glorifying them or condemning them. Lots of work going on in that. Vincent O'Malley wrote an excellent book on um, the New Zealand Wars. He's written a few books actually on the New Zealand Wars. His wife, Joanna Kidman, is also doing a bunch of really great work in that space as well. Just looking on the Victoria University 
website, she is working on a project that, quote, investigates how New Zealanders selectively remember and forget difficult and violent events from our colonial past, end quote. So, you know, there's lots of, obviously lots of work going on um, in the colonisation era as well. And are there controversies going on in what is considered to-date accepted history? As far as I'm aware, there isn't. I think it's pretty generally well accepted that the older stuff is perhaps not quite as good as the newer stuff. Or at the very least that, you know, when you're reading things like Alston Best, there's a certain amount of, you know, salt that needs to be taken with some of those claims. But as far as I'm aware, there isn't really any major controversies about what is accepted, what's not accepted. That brings an end to the Q&A episodes because I've run out of questions. Thank you very much to everyone who sent them in. I think we got a really wide array of questions, which was amazing. Actually, I suppose there is one more question, which is, what is next? Well, as I've said in the past, I'm going to be taking a break. I've been working on this podcast pretty much non-stop for five years. I just need a little bit of a breather before we jump into our next topic. I anticipate this break to be probably about a month long, but I unfortunately can't give you a huge amount of clarity on when the next episode is going to come out, because I'm actually recording this uh, pre-Christmas. So this episode will come out, I think it'll be late Jan, early Feb. I actually haven't figured out the release schedule quite yet, but the moral of the story is I'm going to be taking January off, and then working on the next set of episodes when I come back in February. I've actually already started writing those episodes, so hopefully the gap between this one and the start of the next topic won't actually be that long, and me telling you all this might not even matter. I might even be able to get it out uh, on the regular release schedule. So maybe none of this matters, but just in case I go dark on the feed for maybe a few weeks, just letting you know that that's why. It's because I've taken a break and I need to come back and finish those episodes and get back into the regular rhythm. It doesn't mean that the podcast has stopped. It doesn't mean that I've given up or anything. I will be coming back. You can absolutely fucking guarantee it. You cannot get rid of me that easily. I'm still going to be on Twitter and other social media, so if you want to check in on me or ask any questions, you can still, yeah, ask on Twitter or Instagram or email me or anything like that. I'm still going to be responding and shitposting and all that sort of stuff. If you want to get in touch, my email and social media are on historyaotearoa.com. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. You can also find helpful resources there like transcripts and sources. If you would like to support Hans, you can do so through donating via Patreon or giving us a review. As always, haere tu atu, oki tu mai. See you next time. Oh, and this song that you've been listening to for the last few episodes? It's the new theme song. Doesn't it fucking slap? <laughs> <laughs>